0: This is Social discasting. Welcome to Social Disgusting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I am Brandon, aka Brandon. Hope you're well. My guest is a stand-up comedian, a podcaster, and a teacher who co-hosts the podcast Block Party, The P.O.D. Cast, and Hockey Fight, with three exclamation points, and on October 16th released his second album, Long Stories for No Reason, which was recorded like just before things started shutting down in March. Please welcome John Cullen. Welcome.
1: Welcome. Hey, Brandon, thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for that very thorough introduction where you named the date my album was released. I think that's a first for me, so I appreciate really? that. That's nice. Yeah, well, at least in post-album world, I think when I was when I was doing podcasts around the time that it came out, you know, obviously people say if it was like before, they'd be like, look out for his album coming out October 16th, or if it was like right after, yeah. they would say that. But now that we're in this like f- five-month future, Uh, I don't think I've had anyone be like, yeah, back on October 16th, that's when he released it. So I appreciate your, your thorough research. Thank you very much.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, uh, first of all, thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, also like, I know, you know, we recorded that. I think you recorded like March 7th and 8th. I think it was. Yeah. Was there a point at which we were like in a hold pattern to wonder when this was gonna, if there was an end point and then you were going to release it or does it was October always the plan?
1: No, uh, well, good question. I mean, I think it was, the plan was, there wasn't really like a set plan. I mean, I'm not a big enough artist where, uh, you know, we needed to plan it out months in (laughs) advance. I'm not like a famous musician where everything is done down to the day or whatever. It was sort of, uh, I recorded it. My, my record label is based out of Toronto. So pardon me, that's comedy records who they've put out both my albums. And, and so we talked about it and I had wanted to do press in Toronto and, and my, so i live in vancouver uh, bc and here in canada but i'm from toronto uh so most of my extended family's back there my fiance becca all of her family's there she's she's from ontario as well southern ontario um so like like my parents and my sister are out here i moved with my family but like even like her parents and her brothers are back there and stuff so we usually go back to toronto at least once a year so the general plan was record this in march Put it out sometime in the early fall, whether that was September, October, okay. go to Toronto, do a bunch of press do a bunch of shows because most of Canada's like bigger press is in Toronto um so that was sort of the plan was to do that kind of not junk it because again I'm not a big enough artist to do that but just <laughs> you know pop in on some radio and TV maybe do some some traditional press whatever give it
0: some visibility
1: yeah yeah exactly and then obviously flight stopped happening and shows stopped happening and and so then it was you know then it was the kind of like do we wait you know do we wait until I can you know, put this out and go on the road and and promote it and do all that. And, you know, then it was just it was kind of a combination of thinking that COVID wasn't going to be over anytime soon, which obviously we're still living in it. So and then just also thinking like, you know what, like people, people are going to want to hear they want something, you know, they want something now. And I recognized that A lot of my promotion was going to be going on podcasts anyway just with the visibility i have is is mostly through the podcasts i do so um you and i were talking before we recorded just about i did kind of like a mini quote unquote podcast tour i think the final total ended up being 18. so i guessed it on like 18 podcasts in a month um just to kind of get the word out and um so yeah so so it ended up being just fine you know I, i think that sort of method of promoting it worked out well I think yeah people were really looking for you know and people still are looking for any kind of content in this uh, world where that's all we have now anymore all we have yeah. is content we have nothing else so um, so yeah so that was kind of the the impetus behind it of, of just thinking like okay let's just get it out there and and who cares and yeah I think it like I said I think it ended up being the right decision but it wasn't it wasn't something going into recording it where we were like okay we're definitely putting it out on this specific day or at this specific
0: time. That makes sense. Yeah. I never thought about this. This might be a dumb question, but... (laughs) I just want to preface it that way. So then if it is a dumb question, I'm like, see, so I told then, you. <laughs> yeah. Cause then you look smart, right? I think if you, cause then it's a dumb question and I'm it's correct. A, if, yeah, yeah, exactly. If you acknowledge that it's a dumb question
1: and it is a dumb question, then it's like, it's a double dumb. So it like becomes a smart
0: kind of, I think. And then if it is just a smart question in general, I can just have a devilish grin. Yeah. While being you can like be a being a little you can stinker. Be like,
1: yeah, I set that up. Just, I was just, you know, I was just <laughs> humble about it. Maybe it's a dumb
0: question Then I'm like, no, that's a good question. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. That's nice. Just a mischievous little tiki face. Yeah, exactly. My question is that when you're when you record from uh, generally, it feels like from what I've heard, like comedians, you record your material and then you some anyway burn that material. You move on to the next. Mm -hmm. Do you first of all, do you do that in your case?
1: Uh, well, again, I'm not famous enough to warrant that. In a way, like so. If you're a much larger comedian that has a national platform or whatever and, and you put something out on say netflix you know where you can be reasonably sure that a lot of the people that are coming to see you have seen the thing then i think there's a bit more pressure to have material done quicker like for example um, Nate Bargatze is one of my favorite comedians um, and I've had the privilege of opening uh, for him a couple times here in Vancouver and, and so, so he yeah he's amazing if you've never heard him if you're listening to this go check it out his specials called the Tennessee kid it's out on Netflix right now so I opened for him in not this March but the previous March so March 2019 okay. and the Tennessee kid I believe came out in May of 2019 and when he was touring in March he already had like 30 new minutes ready because he was like because he had he had recorded it obviously like about i think about six months before that but he was like already prepping because his plan was as soon as the tennessee kid was out on netflix all that material was gone he was assuming that like most people who are coming to a theater and buying a ticket to see me will have seen it and i need new material whereas for me it's a much smaller scope you know like if i if i go to toronto and i do a week of shows in toronto Uh, which you know is so say i do six shows or something at a club in toronto the likelihood like the number of people who would have heard my album is maybe 30 or 40 across those like six shows and that's maybe high so i don't have to think of it like okay i've put this album out now i need an entire new headlining set I will definitely have new jokes that I mix in and I might have new tags on the jokes that are already on the album or whatever uh, that feel a bit fresh. But yeah, I don't, I'm not in that position where I have to do that. But I, you know, I I put out two albums now. So, so my first album, you know, like obviously for a while, I didn't tell any of those jokes. And I I think it's more just, it's a personal thing. Like you just get kind of sick of them. So it's not even, it's not even so much a thing where I'm like, cocky where I'm like oh a bunch of people in the audience will have heard this and I need new stuff it's almost just more for myself where I'm like okay I want to I've been writing some new stuff and I want to try that out and and so yeah so I, I would say whenever stand-up comes back it'll probably take me about a year or more before the material that's on this album is like fully cycled out of my set
0: I gotcha. it just randomly randomly made me think of think about how about getting tired of a joke, for example or telling you a joke cuz you just do it ad nauseum and you just kind of want to move on that what a what a double edged sword it is for a band to have like one major hit mm-hmm. or like the known song mm-hmm. you know i think i remember like now that i think about it and this is not a reasonable example cuz this is a band with a lot of hits like that but Remember, like David Spade doing a stand-up bit about how he went to an Eagles concert and the first song they played was "Hotel California," and how he just marveled at the balls of that choice. I love that to be like, and I think it's just so like, man, that's a that I love the confidence. I wish I could have any of that confidence, you know. But also, though, I think part of it was, you know, they want to excise that, get that out of their system. Like, we know you know, you know we know. Let's just do it and let's just get it over with. Yeah, I mean, one
1: of the best things that I ever saw to this day. I mean, I'm a huge music fan. I'm in a tons of concerts. Um, I was pretty early on the like Kings of Leon bandwagon. Me too. Okay. So then you'll know that they were not very popular in the United States and they were huge in the UK, um, and in Europe. So yeah. their first couple albums were pretty big in Europe and in the, in, in and so they would play, you know, large theaters in Europe or even verging on smaller stadiums, but then they'd come back to America and they'd play clubs or, small theaters and i remember when only by the night was about to come out i had bought tickets to see them in seattle uh, which is about two hours south of vancouver and um they were playing a theater there that i would say is probably like a 1500 cap theater 2000 seat theater and i had seen them on the because of the times tour and they had played a similar size theater it wasn't sold out wasn't you know it was it was still a good show as far as crowd size but it wasn't sold out and then this you know flash forward a couple of years later only by the nights about to come out and again it was very easy to get tickets i think i had like 10 throw tickets was you know cuz i bought them the day they came out it was you know not a big deal And then Sex on Fire absolutely blew up and exploded. And to the point where like, I could have sold my tickets for like triple face value. Like it was just crazy, like how people got so into that song. And so we went down to, to Seattle to see them and they played Sex on Fire first. And I thought like in that moment, I thought that was such a cool thing. Cause like the Eagles... You know that's a legacy act that's a huge band and they have a Absolutely. ton of other hits you you know playing hotel california first is a ballsy move but it's also like you know
0: it, it's kind of like one a with seven other exactly these you know, seasons it's, it's huge totally whereas like at that
1: time for a lot of people who knew kings of leon sex on fire was the only song they knew and so to play that first i mean i i just thought that was fantastic and and yeah I loved it and, and I think it's weird because I think bands the problem for a band is you get pigeonholed in a way that I don't think comedians necessarily do I mean most comedians are at the point now where they're recycling or not recycling their material they're throwing it out and writing new material anyway yeah but I do think there is a bit of a sort of You know, comedians can either get away with dropping it or they can get away with keeping an older joke. Whatever they wanna do is fine. Whereas like, I think bands don't really have an option. You know, like I think if you have a big hit, you gotta play the big hit forever. There's no other option, you know. And I know, like, I remember reading an interview not that long ago. It was probably about a maybe a year and a half ago with Adam Duritz of the Counting Crows, and um, <laughs> and he was talking about exactly that. Just saying like, well, like if I don't want to play the hits, like I don't feel like we have to play the hits. And I'm like, you have to play the hits, man. You <laughs> definitely have to play the hits. Yeah. Like it doesn't make any sense. And I I went to see them. They did this like very weird tour where it was like it was like them. Matchbox 20 and someone else from that like era. Maybe it was like Filter or something. I don't remember. It
0: wasn't Filter. I was gonna say but... like Third Eye Blind is what came Oh yeah, maybe, maybe it
1: like... was Third Eye Blind. I don't remember. Okay. It was like one of those bands. And I got like a really cheap ticket and I just went to see Counting Crows because Long December is one of my favorite songs of all time. It's an amazing it's song. It's an amazing song, exactly. Thank you. I'm glad you backed me up on that. Not everyone agrees.
0: That band has become a little bit of a not a punchline, but kind of a punch. You know, it's it's kind of an easy target, but they have some real
1: good songs totally and and so it was so funny because i went to see them and they didn't play like three of their hits like they they did like a 40 minute set because i think they were like flip-flopping who was headlining between them and matchbox 20. so the night i went they were not headlining and they played yeah they played like a 40 minute set they didn't play mr jones they didn't play the song from shrek uh, uh believer or whatever like it was like what like what is going on here what like especially that where you're literally playing like a legacy stadium tour well at a certain point it becomes
0: a fuck you to the yes exactly and it, and that that's a different thing totally
1: totally and so that's the thing is like I, I i feel like i do feel for him in a way just because i do know what it's like to tell the same joke like 200 times and i'm sure that they've played mr jones 10 times that amount or whatever but, but yeah. it's just like so yeah so i feel for bands because i think they get pigeonholed a little bit where you kind of have to play the hits and if you don't then you're a douche but at the same time like <laughs> just don't be a fucking douche just play
0: the song <laughs> i mean the thing about it is especially with somebody on that level of of talking about the level of hits with like the counting crows. That is a literal rich people problem. And I can't you know of totally. Of of that that's a different thing, you know. And yes that is not great. I imagine that sucks. However, you have many things to be thankful for. You dated women, quite frankly, that are yeah out of your stratosphere. Exactly. Uh, the from second an you interplanetary had interplanetary difference. The sex. The, the,
1: the second that you had sex with Jennifer Aniston, you were committing to playing Mr. Jones at every show you ever did for the rest of your life. Okay, you have to pay back <laughs> the universal debt that you picked up by getting to sleep with Jennifer Aniston, Mr guy who wears a wig of dreadlocks
0: <laughs> like man i mean first of all he should have patented that idea because that's a first major more millions also like speaking of sex on fire he did it congratulations he outkicked his coverage yes. as they say. Yes.
1: Yeah, and that also too, that show was really funny because he did this thing that I love that I've seen some bands do before as well. And like you said, or Brandon, you've been to a lot of shows, so you've probably seen this too. And it's like one of my favorite things that lead singers will do where they try to give that like sort of deep you know kind of pre-song banter where they talk about like what the song oh, is about so good. but then <laughs> the first line of the song is just like exactly what they just said it was the <laughs> yeah. fun, like Adam Duritz was like yeah you know I wrote this song back when uh you know we weren't a very popular band and I was a bit of a loner you know do we have any loners in the crowd <laughs> you know people cheer and he's like yeah you know I used to always I'd go to these parties and I, I'd just sit in the corner and I'd feel lonely and you know, so I, I wrote this song about it. Then the song starts.
0: It's like I was sitting in the corner, feeling lonely. And you're like, "Okay, wait." I like. He's like, I went through this um, long month uh, sometime in between November and January, and yeah. long December. <laughs> like, mm. And there, yeah, exactly. and you're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that month." Oh. oh, okay, yeah, that is okay. That is in between November and January. Yeah, I okay. used to know this
1: guy, uh, Mr. Jones, and uh, Mr. Jones and me. Uh, we would hang out and uh, <laughs> sometimes girls would walk by and we would, uh, you know, we'd stare at them. Uh, you know, they were beautiful. Uh, so what else are you supposed to do, you know?
0: <laughs> like one time I went on a weekend trip and, um this uh, stayed on the West Coast and had to stay somewhere and stayed in a titular hotel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so good. It's funny you mentioned though about like, well, talking about like pigeonhole bands, but also, you know, to the prism of to some degree, you're Kings of Leon, because Kings of Leon is a band that I saw them on that same tour, I think you're talking about. It was a weird show in Dallas. And it was weird in that it was like a co-headliner, I think, basically, because it was them and the Black Keys. Oh, okay. And it was a hell of a show. Nice. But I think that I feel like Kings of Leon really got pigeonholed in that last album, you know, after that felt like they were really chasing the perception of what they thought fans wanted as opposed to what they wanted to do. Yes. In my, my perception. And I say that too, because the two songs that came out with like a couple weeks so ago good. are, are very, very good. good. Yes,
1: I know. Very good. Totally. It's, it's really funny. Cause I think, I think you get, get some flack for liking Kings of Leon, I think, uh, because people associate them with like sex on fire and use somebody and, um, you know, stuff yeah. like that. And, and, It's interesting because I like because of the times is one of my top ten favorite albums ever. It's a fantastic album. I'll never get sick of it. I love youth and young manhood and a hawshake heartbreak as well. Only by the night has a couple good songs on it too. So does um, come around sundown. Yeah, but it's just it's interesting. I agree with you. Especially did you watch the the Temecula sunrise? Yeah, yeah. So they do spend like quite a bit of time on that, or Caleb at least spends quite a bit of time on that, talking about how you know they don't want to become like a stock rock band and and they put like a lot of time into you know like at one point he gets mad at matthew the guitar player because he's he's like that riff any band could write that riff like that riff is not going to be on a kings of leon album like blah 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 and then they put out an album of like exclusively those riffs and then you're like okay well like so i agree totally with what you're saying like they seem a little bit at odds of do we want to hang on to the stadiums that we're playing or do we want to? And, and I think walls was so bad that, that they finally, I I think that was like the wake up of like, Oh, we, we actually just made an album for no one. No one liked that, that album. So maybe we should just go back to what we do best. And yeah, I totally agree. The bandit and hundred thousand people both sound awesome. And I'm like, if Kings of Leon is going like full indie with this record, I'm, I'm in all the way.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Like that, those two songs. I don't know what it. I don't know what it is about it, but when I was listening to both of them, it just felt like this palpable, like sense of like catharsis and like release. You know, like we're back. This is what we want to do. It's almost like they were stretching their legs and like yes, it it felt good. You know, and it felt really nice to hear them back because that's like it's that's what I'm used to with them. And honestly, as much as like dramatic as this might sound, I feel like I'd lost them, but now it feels like they're back.
1: Yes. No, I agree. And it, and it is a weird feeling. Like I don't know how old you are, but I'm I'm 35. 37. Okay, yeah. So you and I are kind of in that same zone of, yeah, like you do feel like you lose bands. And yeah. and it's weird, you know? And, and it's weird <laughs> in a way like uh this is actually a perfect time to talk about this because I as you mentioned off the top, I have a show called the POD cast which as you might imagine is a show about nu metal and it's myself and and Brian Quinby from Street Fight Radio and we review a classic new metal album every month and Um, we just literally recorded the episode last night on, um, the album this month we're doing is Limp Bizkit's Gold Cobra, uh, (laughs) which was their, they released it in 2011. Um, so that's about 10 years after their, so significant other came out in 99. That's the one with Nookie and Break Stuff and then Hawk, uh, Hawkett. Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water came out in That's 2000. The That's the one with the Mission Impossible song, <laughs> yeah. Take a Look Around and Rollin'. <laughs> and and then they released a couple albums over the years that weren't very well received. They did one without Wes Borland and all that. Anyway, so in 2011, like both Brian and myself, I mean, we're huge. We're unabashed. We're unabashed new metal fans. We love it. We don't have any issues about it. We unironically love it. Yeah, And um, both of us had never heard Gold Cobra, like not even for a second. We didn't listen to it. We didn't care about it in 2011. It's not an album we were looking for. And, and it was so, yeah, as being like from like 1998 to 2001, I did not listen to anything other than Corn and Limp Bizkit, like nothing, like nothing else. So for like three years of my life, those two bands were my entire identity and then it gets to a point 10 years later where you don't even pay attention to that album and we both l- loved it like i was like how did limp biscuit make a great album that i just never even heard like how <laughs> did i lose them so badly that this came out and i just didn't even really know it existed you know it- it- it's crazy
0: that's kind of nice though. that's like finding like uh i was gonna say a 20 hour ago but i guess a toonie <laughs> in your like jacket yeah that it's like you, it technically was always yours, but you didn't have it. So that's like you discovered something new. Yes. That's a very difficult um, sensation to feel today to both have the sense of discovery while also having like having it wrapped in nostalgia at the same time.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think part of it too is just that you, you know, it's you don't need to go back to anything, right? Like there's so yeah. much content being made now. There's so much new music there's and it's so easy to get that you don't really need to go back to anything. Like if you if you feel like you missed an album from an artist or you even just missed their moment, you know, where maybe a lot of people liked them and they told you to get into them and you're like, oh, whatever, back in like 2008 or something. And then you go back and listen to it now and you're like, ah, oh, you know, it's it's not quite there for me. It doesn't matter. You don't need it. There's a new band yeah. coming out tomorrow that you'll probably love. And it, so, it, so I think that creates that sort of, that sort of vacuum even more where you yeah where you're almost like not checking in or pursuing a lot of things that you might like and and so it was an interesting moment I think for both of us where we were like you know it just seemed crazy to us that 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 had slipped us by but you know that's getting old I guess or whatever
0: <laughs> that's so pretty nice though I mean really just uh, you know you go in there with no expectations and even like the the perception of, of Limp biscuit, because certainly there is I'm sure there's, you know, there's a lot of musical highs with them and a ton of lows. and then <laughs> Yeah. And then, you know, also uh, you have the fascinating filmography of, of oh. director Fred Durst. Absolutely. Have you seen The Fanatic? Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: it is. Uh, yeah, it's a wild experience. No question it about is,
0: that. <laughs> it is um,
1: difficult to put into words. It, you know, what I always say when people ask me about The Fanatic is I say... I say, well, because we we watched it for a Blocked Party bonus episode, ironically enough, with Brian and Brett from Street Fight. Perfect. Um, But we, uh, I always say two things. I say, well, I say, John Travolta does a very inaccurate portrayal of an autistic man despite having an autistic son. And there's a scene where Devin Sawa is driving his car and Limp Biscuit (laughs) is playing in the car and he turns to his like twelve ish year old son and he's like, You like this? And the son's like, Uh, no, I don't know what it is. He's like, This is Limb Biscuit. These guys were huge back in my day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and there is there is so much in just in two sections of that movie of the things you just highlighted. Individually to unpack, collectively to unpack, oh psychologically to to unpack. And also just even on a broad level of of Fred Durst And the fact that he was mentored by David Fincher. Yeah. Which I can't even, like, Fincher was supposed to direct Lords of Dogtown before Durst. And then I think Fred Durst, I don't think he ended up doing it. I can't remember. No, yeah, he didn't do it. But Okay, that's right.
1: But yeah, I know. It's like, and doing, you know, doing, when you do a movie or an album or whatever for a podcast, you do research. And so it was like... You know, I was looking into like, how did he even get John Travolta? And John Travolta said that he agreed to do it and he took way less money than he would normally make to do it. And he said it was because he met Fred a few times and Fred was so passionate about it that he decided he's like, I have to do this. Like, I just have to like Fred was so magnetic when he spoke to him about it. And he said, apparently, like Fred has said that he wouldn't have done the movie if travolta didn't agree to play this character like he just had it in his mind that th- that travolta was going to be this guy and and yeah and that was like john travolta's whole thing was just like yeah fred just convinced me to do it and the limp biscuit scene where where it's playing in the car is also funny because fred insists that he didn't do that that devin sawa said to him you should have limp biscuit playing in the car in this scene and Fred was like, no, that's really corny. And Devin Sawa was like, no, I think it'd be really cool. And like, maybe that's a lie. But just like even the idea that it might I, not I be a lie, it. like that yeah. Devin Sawa was like, we should play some Limp biscuit. And, and I bet it, I think it was probably a song from Gold Cobra that's playing uh, <laughs> on the radio. And it's just, yeah, everything about it is fascinating. I mean, I think Fred Durst is easily in my top, like, 20 people on earth that I would love to just like have a one hour conversation
0: with. I I think the fact that Travolta was on board and for less money, no less, which, uh, that's interesting, but but, the, but <laughs> you're still wrapping your
1: head around it. That's the thing with the fanatic. It's like you watch it and and you have to just sit in your own like, how did any of this happen? Like for like an hour after it ends.
0: Yeah, the the what, where, why, and and hows of it all were all processing through my brain at once <laughs> in all of that, in a in a real stew of confusion. But <laughs> he, uh, it, it's just that the Fred Durst. I'm like, he must have like truly, you know that. That front man charisma and presence. Totally. And he must be a real fun hang. You know, yep. like that energy must be really palpable and infectious.
1: For sure. I mean, you know, I could talk about Limp Bizkit all day. But if you're interested in more about Limp Bizkit, check out the POD cast. Because we go into way more detail about it that I won't bore you with here. Because most people don't <laughs> give a shit about Limp Bizkit. But yes, the, the very short version is essentially like Fred is basically the best marketer slash guy that you can think of like I like I don't think he's a good guy necessarily but I just think like you're exactly right in the fact that he seems to be a very good hang he knew exactly how to put himself in front of the right people I mean he they got signed because he slipped a demo tape into Korn's bassist's pocket while he was giving him a tattoo and Fred was not a tattoo artist but he had convinced (laughs) Korn that he was a tattoo artist to hang out with them and then gave fieldy a tattoo that fieldy says to this day he's like yeah i kind of knew like five minutes into the tattoo that like fred probably wasn't a tattoo artist (laughs) (laughs) and then still went home listened to the demo tape and was like oh yeah we got to introduce these guys to interscope and and sign them so
0: i can guarantee you that the that when describing something that fred durst has done a friend has described it it has been said probably two billion times (laughs) that's just fred man totally
1: yes exactly i don't know it's fred dude what, what do you want I, you know? that's just fred for you you
0: know fred's crazy totally totally so yeah
1: <laughs> i mean it, it's just so funny like all the stories about him that we've read for the show and and all the backstory with him and the band and i mean it's just wild for a guy who's like you know from what we can tell anyway is relatively talentless you know he's built he's pretty much built an empire for himself and it's uh <laughs> It's wild. So, yeah, no, he, he is certainly one of the more interesting guys in North America anyway. We'll put it that way.
0: <laughs> you know, I will say that when my, my pause at the John Travolta taking less money thing, what, my, what was coursing through my brain was I was thinking, oh, so this is why he gets into Scientology. Like he, he meets a guy <laughs> who's a couple really of times, he's in the room and he's already indirectly paying him in a way <laughs> to be in a, in a really, really bad mood.
1: Have you read this book? Have you, have you checked out this book? It's crazy. John Travolta's like, whoa. I mean, you're right. It <laughs> does make sense, like, in terms of him ending up in Battlefield Earth and, like, yes. some of the other, like, creative choices he's made. You're like, oh, yeah, maybe that is what was happening just the whole time. He just had to be convinced.
0: <laughs> you know, cut to, like, you know, it's like uh, Fred saying. I never would have done this without John Travolta. Meanwhile, he pitched it to Nicolas Cage, and he's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?"
1: Yeah, Christian Slater was like, "No way." He's like, "Okay, fine, I'll,
0: I'll keep." He's it. like, "No, I'm going to do cuffs too for Disney Plus. I don't have time for this." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did want to. Oh yeah, I, I want to ask you. I know that you do uh, hockey fight three exclamation points. Yes. Now, but how has because it's not on my radar as much as other sports. How has the NHL, NHL handled the kind of quarantine pandemic situation? Have they handled it well?
1: No, I mean, no. so it's very funny you mentioned this because it's like it's like exploding right now. Um, oh no. yeah. So they did a bubble for the playoffs. So the they 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 kind of went the same route as the NBA. They were close enough to the end of last season. They they did two bubbles, uh, one in Edmonton and one in Toronto, um, and they had no cases throughout the bubble. Uh, it worked totally fine, um, and everybody was praising them how great of a job they did in the bubble, all that stuff. This is
0: very NBA like. Yeah. Yes, precisely. Parallel. Precisely.
1: Yep. And then, yeah. And then now they're they've so the one thing they've done is they've divided it on the border. Um, so all the Canadian teams are in one division, and then the there's th- so there's normally four divisions in the NHL, and they're divided you know they're divided longitudinally as you would uh, expect. So you know the eastern teams kind of all play each other, and the western teams or whatever. But this they've done it by latitude this time. So the, all the Canadian teams are are playing each other. Um, and then yeah and then there's a west a central and an east division in the states for lack of a better word Um, and yeah it's uh right now it's coming to a head because so the nhl has been going for three weeks uh they've already had 90 players put on a covid list so it doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean that they've contracted covid it just means that the the nhl has reason to believe that they've been exposed to it um and then they have to be on the covid list for a week that it's like Once they get put on the COVID list, they have to be on it for a week at minimum, and they have to produce four negative tests before they're allowed to play again. So they've already had 90 guys through three weeks, which is bad enough. And then there's a a situation right now that's really coming out. Um, So the Devils have been hit particularly hard. Uh, They have 10 confirmed cases, and they have 17 people on their COVID list. And they played the Buffalo Sabres on the weekend. And at the time there were three devils who had been confirmed COVID cases and they still went ahead with the game against Buffalo and the Sabres had protested and said they didn't want to play it because they were worried. And And the NHL up to this point has said that they believe that COVID can't spread during a game. Um, how they've come up with that. I have no idea. That's very convenient. Yes, exactly. So that's their, that's their whole sort of mantra has been like, oh, well, you know, it's fine if one team ends up having COVID because you can't spread COVID on the ice. And the Sabres were basically like, we don't want to play this game because we feel like you can spread COVID on the ice. And now a few Sabres have been put on that list and the Sabres were forced to cancel the rest of their games or postpone the rest of their games this week. So it's really like exploding right now where like reporters are rushing out being like Buffalo's pissed off because of this and blah, blah. So right now it's an absolute mess. And yeah, I mean, the thing is, if you're listeners and and you don't know that much about hockey hockey is the grossest sport on earth i mean i've grown up playing hockey all my life there's something about being out on the ice in the cold that makes guys just be the absolute most disgusting people you've ever imagined The, the the amount of spit and sweat and bodily fluids that are getting put everywhere all the time i mean it's just unfathomable so the idea and then of course you're in a confined building in a confined space you don't really have that you can't socially distance on a bench like the nba has that going for them where you know they can kind of space out the bench and they can sort of do different things like that the nhl does not have that option it's 20 guys all packed in sweating and spitting everywhere I and mean, it's a disaster so I'm not surprised and and I bet if if it gets any worse over the next week, I bet the whole league will shut down for a couple of weeks and they'll try to reset
0: yeah that um I mean just as again, like I don't know it's not about about hockey, but I've watched some games before and yeah, you know football is bad enough in terms of the the contact sport of it all, certainly, but at least on the sidelines, yeah, they can have some semblance of space so it's more people on the field like in the in play yeah. that are doing that but yeah, in hockey, it feels like there's nowhere to hide. Well,
1: and it, the, with football, it's outside too, right? So that—that's kind of the yeah. main thing that they sort of believe that it doesn't spread as much because you're, you're outside. Um, yeah, fair enough. And so, yeah, it, it's. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be a good situation. And, and, you know, so far the Canadian division has had no cases. So it does sort of also demonstrate what's going on south of the 49th parallel as well, Say, where, that where the U.S. has kind of, it seems like, uh, just given up and are just saying, yeah, we're just going to do whatever we want until we get the vaccine. Canada still cares a little bit about trying to keep things under wraps. So that's at least the one positive thing, is that the Canadian division has seemed to to run with very few interruptions so far. But uh, but yeah, it, it's it's heading for a for a critical point, I think.
0: You know, in its own weird way, just the fact that. It's not acting any more abnormally than it would otherwise, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, in, in Canada, they're not getting it as much, or if at all. And in America, it's happening exactly how everything's happening in America right now. People are taking risks in hockey arenas or otherwise, and some are getting it and some are not. So it's awful either way, and it's absurd, you know, that they do that. The, the fact that they're—the they're, idea of, like— uh Oh no, we've determined you can't get it on the ice. Like, what the fuck are you talking yeah, about? I know, right? It's just, it's like, how <laughs> have
1: you determined that? What, where, where did you come yeah. up? Where's that data? You know, and it's, it is interesting because hockey is a very conservative sport. Um, I I think it's it's been actually they did a study I think the athletic was the one who did it like hockey's been proven to be the most right-wing sport Uh, it's certainly it's certainly the whitest sport as far as the participants all the way up the chain in the front offices and everything and so it is interesting to kind of see that like so so normally the NHL is very conservative even from like a player level like you know it's nothing like the you know the NBA is like you know, James Harden will come out and be like, fuck the owners of this team. Fuck the team. People are saying he might have worn a fat suit to try to get traded. You know, there's like all, you know, they lock DeAndre Jordan in a house. Like all this shit goes on in the NBA. <laughs> the NHL is, there's nothing, nothing of interest ever happens like that. And so it yeah. it speaks volumes that the sabers are publicly coming out and saying like we told the league we didn't want to play and now we're fucked. Like that is a huge deal for hockey. To speak out like that. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's gonna be, you know, there is gonna be a lot more focus put on that whole like, well we determined that there was no spread. And it's like, oh okay, (laughs) sure. Okay, show show your work. (laughs) Exactly. I I think that's I think that's where we're heading shortly in the
0: hockey world for sure. And it's just like a piece of paper with like one plus one equals three. Really crayon. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, mm, mm, very good, very good. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't uh, want to take too much more of your time. This has been awesome. This has been yeah, great. yeah. This is a bit. So this much has been fun. a
1: blast. I'm yeah. Take m- as much of my time as you want. I don't care. I'm chill. <laughs> I, I, you, this might surprise you. I'm not doing anything. So.
0: Yeah, me neither. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I, well, you know what? Well, then fuck it. Let's go a little bit longer. All right, sure. I don't want to 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 be become solemn, but my question is, well, what has the been your experience as a teacher in Canada during all oh, this? Oh,
1: okay, <laughs> yeah, fun. Um, you know, uh, it's it's weird, man. Um, it, it's just uh, it, it's weird because I guess it it almost in it, kind of funny that we we're just talking about sort of things that don't really make sense. And that's kind of how it's going right now in schools as well. Like, um, so again, I try not to be too long winded about it, but basically I teach secondary school, but I'm a substitute so I can kind of control like what schools I go to and stuff. But the idea was this year that we normally have a semester system where there's two semesters in a year. Uh, this year they've divided it up into quarters. Um, so where where students would normally take four courses a semester, now they're taking two classes per quarter. Um, okay. and And then students are being kept within what they're calling cohorts. So the cohorts at the secondary level are 60 students big. And so basically for the whole year, you'll have your eight classes with those 60 kids essentially. Uh, and so what our health officer has determined is that because the students are traveling in groups of 60 mostly that makes contract tracing contact tracing easier so the kids don't have to wear masks when they're in class so the messaging is very confusing because about four months ago we went to an all mask policy indoors so anytime you go into a restaurant or a grocery store or whatever you're legally required to wear a mask unless you're in a school with a thousand kids uh, you know, like you, so you're, when yeah. you're in a public area in the school, you're, you're to be wearing a mask. So in the, if you go to the washroom, if you're in the hallway in between classes, you put on a mask, but then as soon as you get inside your classroom, you're allowed to take the mask off. Well. You know, schools aren't very well ventilated. Uh, Like I said, there's a thousand people in the building. You know, how can you how can you make masks a requirement, you know, when you're in a restaurant with 30 people, but not when you're in a building with a thousand people? Like it's just a very there's a lot of that sort of backwards messaging going on. And there's been a lot of insistence on you know the fact that the schools are not a major spreader you know that's really been a big a big thing that our provincial health officer who i think for the most part is doing a good job by the way like i think we have we have an actual smart person in charge which is nice and and a nice change from what's going on in ontario uh and certainly what we see in the states but at the same time yeah you get this kind of messaging of like oh schools aren't aren't spreading covid but then you know it's like the same schools over and over again are having cases at least in my district you know and and it's just there's lots of research that indicates that schools are definitely a spreader i mean it's just it's just call it what it is right like the schools are open so we can babysit your children so that you can go yeah. to work and the economy can keep functioning like that's you know and that's the part that kind of pisses me off like i i get why our provincial health officer can't come out and say that but at the same time that is what's happening so why don't you just fucking say it like it just well it's the elephant in the room like yeah. you know Everybody knows. Everybody knows what's going on, you know? And so I think it's like, it's disrespectful in a a way because it's like saying to teachers like, well, your job is not as important or your safety is not as important as, you know, Joe Q who works in an office building uh, and we we need Joe Q's company to keep running. So you have to go and teach Joe Q's children. And it's like... You know, yeah, it's just very, it's very tough. Um, The days are really long. Like, so the kids only have two classes a day. So they're in class for two and a half hours in the morning and two and a half hours in the afternoon. Anyone who's ever been to high school knows that's way too long to be in a high school classroom. So yeah, it's just, it's just been very challenging. It's felt like we've got very little support. Um, so, yeah, it, it's been frustrating. I mean, like I said, I'm lucky because I'm a substitute teacher. I can kind of pick and choose the schools I go to. I have blocked party and comedy. So I have an alternate revenue source where I don't have to work every day. Um, so a lot of what I'm saying is really sort of on behalf of my colleagues who are yeah. who are dealing with these kinds of things. But but even for me on a day to day basis, when I do go into the class, you know, yeah, it, it's it's just tough. and And I just don't. It's just so hard to square and America is kind of different because it just seems like everyone in America. Well, I shouldn't say everyone. I'm being very generalistic, but, you know, America as a whole, people are very individualistic and they value their their own personal rights above all else. Not everyone, but enough people in America that controlling this disease was always going to be a big problem in America. But when you see... Australia and China and other countries, South Korea, New Zealand, having success with just completely locking things down. It just, it's just so hard to square as like even a semi-intelligent person to look at that and go, how are we not doing that? How are we, you know, you're, you're seeing- I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. like you're seeing Aussie rules, football games being played in, in stadiums with 40,000 people. And you're seeing EDM festivals in Wuhan where the virus started. Uh, yeah. with, with, you know, 100,000 people wandering a festival ground, you know, and and I'm petrified to go to school and do my job, you know, and it's like, so that part of it is just so hard. It's like those economies didn't fail when they did that. So why why are we so sure
0: that ours would do that? You know, it just, that's, that's well, the part that's hard. It's infuriating. It's, yeah, to your point, like it's so, it's weird because it's, well, it's weird in that it's weird to see photos from like sydney australia and it feels like it's not just another world; like it's another planet yeah because because they're living in in in, as if you know in my brain because we don't have a post you know COVID world not that we ever will but you know relatively speaking it feels like they're in another time totally and it i can't even wrap my head around that But then also to your point, the fact that we have these places that not only have done these things, but they are proven to work. And then even when there are quote unquote setbacks in like New Zealand, they lock that shit down again, take it out, and then they're back. Totally. And the fact that that I'm speaking for the American part of North America more than any, but the word that always comes to mind when I think of Americans, fellow Americans, is that we are Americans, we are so undisciplined. Right. And I say that as somebody who like... Eats, like, shit more often than I shouldn't. <laughs> and we are so, like, immature, such a young country, so immature and undisciplined, and so fucking arrogant, you know? Like, yeah. it's infuriating. And I know what you're saying about, like, individualism. We absolutely have that. But, my man alive, has it just... Uh, transmogrified or metastasized into so much self-interest and arrogance and just being so up your own ass of like i don't want to wear a mask because i don't want to be told what to do and it's like shut the fuck up this isn't about you totally
1: and 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 canada's not immune to that either you know i, I think sure we we definitely uh, you know especially on twitter and stuff you'll see you know people say you know people love to like do quote tweet dunks on american stuff and whatever and it's like we're not i mean if we're better than america it's not by a lot You know and so by the
0: way even if your argument is that you're better in america it's like congrats (laughs) so is everyone you know it's like yeah Yeah. so you should be
1: it's just so that that's the part too it's like you know when i when i'm critical of america a lot of that goes for canada too i'm not trying to say that we have it great but however we are doing more at least it seems that way we've had far less numbers than 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 america has but yeah but even still like like you say you know bc i would say for the last three months or so has averaged 500 plus cases a day in the province. And so, you know, to me, that's way too many. Like it just, it seems, yeah, it, it just seems so easy. And and it's also, it just seems like such basic math. Like if you yeah. can shut the country down for a month and kind of get over this or whatever, and then six months down the line, maybe you have to shut it down for another month, but then the rest of the time it's basically functioning normally how is that not less of a hit on the economy than just doing like 40 percent of the stuff
0: all the time and killing people it, it just like a you know i know what you mean and i guess you know part of the problem is too that we in america anyway it's it, it seems like and again this is an oversimplification that like facts and statistics are a nuisance yeah in many different ways but certainly you know with covid it's like you know people just throw shit out and whether that's Their own versions of facts, or their own outright made up shit, or just you know reasons to go ahead and do shit in like California, where they deprioritize essential workers on the the vaccine list, which was they did that the day before opening things back up in LA. I I cannot I can't fathom that. Yeah, no, I don't understand. No, me neither.
1: Me neither. And, And yeah, I think exactly what you're saying is correct. It's like it's not even the disbelief of facts. It's just like, well, I'm gonna I'll find my own facts. I'm going to find yeah. my own I I've decided this is how situation x is and i'm going to find the person who tells me the thing about the situation that i wish to believe and that's the part that's always so hard to me too is it's like you know that then that's what's really what the internet has really like fucked up for us you know and and you know absolutely we're not telling i'm not saying anything that people don't already know but (laughs) um but yeah that's really what it is it's like you you can go anywhere and find anything that you know in your mind can
0: back up what you believe and uh And that's a problem. (laughs) I agree. That's a fair, that's a fair summation. You know, I do think that like the internet started as kind of relative, like earnest misinformation, but that has transformed into very like cynical weaponizing of misinformation and disinformation. I don't know if those are two different things. But let's just say that. <laughs> but then it's just become it's become its own thing. I mean, I guess me trying to summarize the issues with the internet.
1: Yeah, that's a much longer. That's a very much longer podcast than this one. It's at least one more minute of
0: a podcast, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a. Yeah, it's a. It's an exercise of futility. But it's just all. I don't know. I guess my um, very smart conclusion of this and the pandemic as a whole. It's all so much. Yeah. It's all just so much.
1: Yep, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Great way to end. We did it. We did another. We perfect. did another twenty minutes, and uh, we decided that uh, it's just too much.
0: <laughs> you know what? Twenty more minutes, and I get an ulcer out of it. It's perfect. <laughs> what all? Um, I know you've got your three podcasts yeah. now, but what all do you want to point people to um, before yeah. we wrap it up? Too many. Too many
1: podcasts. I'm a straight white man, so <laughs> I'm just fulfilling my duty in, in having three podcasts. But uh, yeah, those are all. Uh, you know, we've kind of touched on them throughout the pod, uh, but yeah, blocked parties, my main one, that's with my friend, Stefan Heck, uh, who you might know from Twitter at boring underscore as underscore heck. Uh, we have a guest, uh, we have a guest on every week to talk about a time they were blocked on social media. And, uh, we're in the middle of sweeps month right now, which is where we have big guests on the show. We just had Julie Klausner on and we've got uh, some other big guests coming later this month. So it's going to be a fun one. Doughboys. Uh, are going to be there and, and a few others, uh, so you can oh, you can follow that uh, at Blocked Party Pod Podcast. We've already talked about a bunch. That's at the Pod underscore Cast, and we spell Cast with a K, like the band Corn. Um, and then yeah, <laughs> if you have hockey fans listening to the show, I have a, a weekly radio show here in Vancouver that we also release as a podcast. It's myself. And Brendan Bachelor, who is the radio play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks, uh, so it's a fun, oh, cool. yeah, it's a fun one. He's like a professional broadcaster, and I'm just a stupid idiot, uh, and we fight about <laughs> hockey every week. That's at Hockey Fight Pod. And if that was too much for you to keep track of, you can just follow me at Cullen the Comic. I'm always updating people about what I'm up to, and uh, you can find that all there. Perfect. Thank you again. This was so
0: fun. Thanks, Brandon. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe. Please wear a mask. Lead with empathy, et cetera. Goodbye.